Uh, did you hit start stream and start recording? I felt my phone. Hit it there. Yeah, you're live. Uh, you're live. I don't know why it never comes up.
We go live the first time my battery's dead. Well, you know, the Lord does tell us that we can bring it all to the table. And we do that every Sunday morning when we come into his presence and we come to this table with the bread and the wine that represents his body and his blood. You know, that paid the full ransom for us, for everything, every affliction of our body, every time that we are tormented in our mind, every time that we feel lonely or rejected or lost, we can know that that blood redeemed us from that. He says that the blood brought us into the newness of Christ, made us a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to stay there. Yes, we all come into those temptations. You know, the Bible says there's no temptation taking you, but such as every is common to every man. We all go through it, but the key is we go through it. We don't stay there, you know? So...
His is the power. His is the glory. And all the honor belongs to Him. And we say, as the words of this song, and as the words of the Bible, let heaven come. Let that kingdom come to earth, even as it is in heaven. Let it be in us. Let it reign in us. The kingdom of heaven, where there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in knowing that we have everything, everything that we could ever need, ever desire, or ever hope for in Him. You know, it's like that inheritance that we have is so, so, so valuable. We don't even begin to know how to calculate it. I think I might have shared with you before how the Lord was just showing me, you know, it's like we have an inheritance from somebody in the natural, you know, and we have this great inheritance that they've left for us, this big amount of money that could never be exhausted in a bank. Well, if we need something, what do we do? We go, we make a draw on it, we take it, don't we? But you know what? The kingdom of heaven is so much greater than that. And we don't draw on it, do we? Like we should, Brother Jim, do we? We don't pull and take that which he's given unto us. We let it lay there. Like we don't know we have an inheritance. Like, you know, like a pauper that has everything laid up for him, but they don't know it. They don't know how to take it. They don't receive it. They don't believe it. And so they live the life far below what was meant for them. And that's what we do spiritually and naturally because we don't understand the power, the honor, the glory, the greatness of that inheritance that he's given us. And you know what? One of the greatest things that you can ever learn and I think it's taken us all time to learn that. And I know Brother Jim has helped us so much with that. But you know, we say that verse, perfect love casts out fear. But how many of us walk in that? How many of us know what that means? And how many of us think that that perfect love means I have to love you perfectly. I have to love Christ perfectly before I can see those things. No, we got it all backwards. That perfect love is His perfect love for us. That means we don't have to fear because His love is so perfect He can mean nothing else to us because God is love. Amen. Ricky Steamboat, $5 a piece. All right. We're going to jump right in because I, I want you to get a hold of this, especially in 
with all the stuff that's going on. Man, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Not only, uh, 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 you know, in our own lives, but in the world, it seems. On the brink of World War III, food shortages, wars, catastrophes, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, but this isn't the first time, okay? So it's, it's happened many times before. So this is Freedom from the Tyranny of Circumstances, part two. And we're going to be drawn from Philippians chapter one. I'm only going to read verse 12, 13, and 14 today. But I would you should understand or know, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace and in all other places. I'm reading now the King James. NAS is a little bit different. And many other brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Last week we spent most of the time talking about how this letter came about. Remember Paul's been in jail four years. The time he's writing this, he's chained to a Roman guard. See, that's how they did it back in those days. Didn't just have guards. He was chained to a Roman guard. So, you know, one guard may be on duty four to six hours, and he unhooks himself, and the other one hooks right back up. He's always chained to a guard. He can't even go to the bathroom. There's no privacy. If he sleeps, he's chained to a Roman guard. Now, he's waiting to see Nero, this evil emperor of Rome, who's a, a giant weirdo. He's a Democrat. I mean, that just slipped out. Uh, that just slipped out. YouTube, forgive me. I didn't mean to be offensive. Uh, he's waiting to see Nero, and he doesn't know what Nero's going to do, if Nero is going to cut his head off or free him, depending on what mood Nero's in. And Epaphroditus uh, comes, and he's brought him a love offering for the church of Philippi. Remember, nobody else, you know, was giving a hoot about Paul. Epaphroditus comes and, and tells him what's going on. In, in Philippi, and, and the cir current circumstances all, but I guess Luke, um, they've all abandoned Paul. All of his Jewish friends have abandoned him, James, and even the church has abandoned Paul. I mean, um, uh, you know, I just want you to get this predicament, the circumstance, this situation that Paul is in. You talk about loneliness. I mean, here all you've done is you've had the revelation of Jesus Christ in you, all you've done is preach the good news, and it's got you thrown in jail and beaten and shipwrecked and snake bit, and all your family's abandoned you, your closest friends abandoned you. The very Pharisees that he grew up with is calling him crazy, and they've attacked his character, and now he's in jail chained to a Roman soldier. So that's how Paul begins to write this letter. He wants them, and not only them, but to us, the readers, 2,000 years later, to understand, to know his circumstances so that we can learn from it and 
and learn to order our life and circumstances. Imagine that. If we learn to order our life and our circumstances. I, I think sometimes uh, there was a song uh, many years ago. You guys probably wouldn't know this because y'all never listened to this kind of music before. But there was a group called The Who. If y'all know who The Who is, we have to have a meeting after church. They sung a song called Pinball Wizard. And I think of that song. Joe knows it. He probably had it playing when he pulled in. The Pinball Wizard. Uh, and I think people's lives are, you ever play pinball? And people's lives are like the little ball. and They just go around and they bounce off of things. And it's just about when you get ready to go through the chute somebody hits and knocks you back up, and sometimes you get on that little thing that goes ding, 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 you know, and just bounces back and forth. So all them little things in that pinball thing is, is life, circumstances. So people's life just, they bounce off of all of these things in life. There's, they have no order, so then, you know, they have good day, bad day, good moment, bad moment, and they're just bouncing around. What if we learn to order our lives? What if none of those things became relevant anymore? Now, see, to us, that would be heaven, wouldn't it? That would be heaven because in heaven, I'm never going to have any more bad circumstances. I'm never going to be bouncing off of anything. Paul writes this letter so that we would learn to order our life and our circumstances. Uh, he's, he's telling us this is going to be a teaching experience. And man, is it ever. And I tell you what, guys, and I, I, and I mean, I'm throwing this out there. I'm reporting to you scriptures. I don't have all of this down, but I know it's true. And sometimes I get lost in the pinball machine myself, and, and I'm bounced around and wondering what in the world is going on. That's why we have the scriptures. Encouragement, one of the reasons. Now remember in verse 13, Paul says his bonds, his imprisonment is in Christ. Now Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, yet he says the, the bonds that he, his imprisonment is in Christ. Now we talk about Christ in you a lot. And let me tell you something, I, I, I think that's the first Issue at hand, we have to understand, and I told you for many of it, for, for most of my life, I did not understand Christ was in me. I had no idea. Thank God for, for the Lord using Brother J.W. Lumen because he did to show me Christ is in you. I had no idea. And it just, I, I'm thankful for brethren like that who, who comes into your lives and, and, and it becomes real. That changed everything for me. That changed everything for me. Christ in you. But this teaching is, is not so much Christ in you. Uh, you know, John 14, 20. In, in red letters, John 14, 20. This is Jesus talking. He says, in that day ye shall know or ye shall experience that I am in the Father, you and me and I in you. That I am in the Father. 
Jesus says, I am in the Father. Jesus is in the Father. And then Jesus says, you are in me. So if I am in Christ and Christ is in the Father, where am I? In the Father. Now I want you to let, and and then he says, and you in me. Or then, then he says, and I in you. See, there's an I in you, and we get that I in you. We get that Christ in you. And I mean, this is the thing that we go. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And where is Christ? He's in me. And, and so we, we come at these circumstances a little bit different. But the thing I'm telling you today is totally, radically different than even the circumstance is in Christ. I want us to get that, you in Christ. We, I mean, we ask this question all the time, where is Christ? And I mean, we know the answer, Christ is in you. I mean, that's the scriptures, that's the hope of glory, Christ is in you. And, and, but then I have to ask the question, well then, where are you? And, and we'll, we'll make these, these claims, well, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Well, that's scripture, Paul wrote it. But, but, but where are we? I want you to get this, where are we? We are in Christ. So you know what? No matter where you go, you're in Christ. You you don't come out of him. David got a glimpse of this. David said, if I take the wings of the morning and fly to the othermost parts of the sea, behold, the Lord is there. How can I escape him? He said, if I make my bed in hell, guess what? The Lord isn't over there saying, oh, sorry about your luck, Beth. You know, I can't come over there. He says, the Lord is there. And now Paul, who had an Old Testament re- revelation, he understood the Old Testament, says, you know what? Even these bonds that I'm in now are in Christ. My imprisonment, my bonds are in Christ. I mean, because, you know, we got to remember, Paul, he tells us in this book here, he was a Pharisee. He knew, the, he knew the scriptures, the scriptures being the Old Testament. He knew them extensively. He knew that as we talked last week. The Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's not uh, one in sequence of numbers, one, two, three, four, and he's the first. You know, I hear people say this, you've got to make God number one in your life. Have you ever heard that? That's a Western mentality. It's not true at all. There is only one. I mean, you know, i got to put God first in my life. He's it. There is no second. I want you to get a hold of that. You know, I understand and, you know, I'm going to make it a priority today. I'm going to put God first. <laughs> yeah. He's it. There is no second. You are in Him and He's in you. There is nothing else. Whether you like it or not. No, you remember, you know, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, I mean, that's kind of a silly statement because there are no other gods. He's it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. God is God alone. There's no opposite. And we talked about this last week. I'm just rehashing. No nation can set itself up against God and win because there's only one God and all nations and all kingdoms bow to him, whether they like it or not. Did you hear that? All nations, all kingdoms bow to him, whether they like it or not. 
And I know some people say, well, you know, the nation that forget God will be cast into hell. What did David say? If I make my bed in hell, guess what? The Lord is there. Where can you go to get outside of God? Is there any place? Now, this ideal of other gods, again, it comes from the lie, come from Satan right out of the garden. This, this separation, you'll be as God, separate from God. It's that satanic wisdom. I told you that satanic wisdom is what's gripped our country. It's what's gripped our world. Satanic wisdom. You know, I think about the stupidity, and I just I hate to bring politics into this stuff, but I mean, you ask a Supreme Court justice to describe a woman. Did y'all see that? Is that not satanic wisdom at its best? Describe a woman. Well, I can't. I'm not a doctor. What the heck? You know, I wasn't a doctor, but I knew Morgan was a little girl when she was born. <laughs> I knew Zach was a little boy. I, I didn't even go to med school. I know it's weird, ain't it? I know you're thinking, boy, Jim must be really smart. Eh, maybe I'm above average. I mean, this wisdom, satanic wisdom, has gripped our world, our, our nation. And, and, you know, we talk about, and everybody thinks they're little gods and little kingdoms, and, and they, they bump into each other, and they, they, they fight, and they war, and I'm over here, and you're over there, and God's over there, and all this separation. And in the meantime, the church is looking for victory. I mean, my gosh. So what's going on here? And it, and it seems that this shouldn't be happening. And it seems that the church here is looking at Paul and, and says, man, this shouldn't be happening to Paul. It's not fair. All Paul's done is preach the gospel. And yet Paul says he doesn't know how Nero will decide. You know, we read all that last week. And you know what? It doesn't seem to much matter to Paul. I don't know if you get a hold of that. Paul wasn't having a prayer chain, a prayer circle going on, saying, hey, guys, pray that Nero will see fit. Paul says, I don't know. You know, to, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. You know, to go on and be with the, the Lord is far better. But to stay with you, I guess it's needful. That wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't a matter of concern with Paul. So in order for us to have the freedom from the tyranny of circumstances, to get out of the pinball machine mentality, these lies has got to be dealt with. The illusion of separation has got to be dealt with. You know, that, that mentality, and this is, you know, one of the things, you know, I... I People think they're in charge in their little world, and here's my little world, my little kingdom, and it's kingdom against kingdom. You know, be in charge. New world order. Isn't that a term that's out there right now? New world order. And I know these terms scare a whole lot of people. That's why it's needful for us to go through these, these terms. You know, there's a new world order. Let me tell you something. There's not a new world order. There is the order of God, and that is it. Man can come up with all his schemes and schisms all he wants. They will all come to naught. You know what his words were? 365 times this is in the Bible. Fear not. That's one for every day, isn't it? Fear not. 
Now, we talked about this last week that it's all lies and, and, and lies build real actions and lies build real cities. I don't know, if you remember several years ago, there was a great big building in Houston, Texas called Enron. Y'all remember that scandal? That was all built on lies, billions of dollars. It's all built on lies, but it was a real building. So you can have a massive lie and control the world's thinking. If you don't believe that, it's going on as we speak. It's controlling the world's thinking. Satanic wisdom, lies. If I believe I'm a God to myself and life begins and ends with me and it's all about me and I'm the master of my fate, I'm the creator of my salvation, that's all lies. Now, if you're a God, what do gods have? Gods have paradise, don't they? They, they had a heaven and along with, along with that lie comes the illusion concerning circumstances in life and and what I mean by that is that you say that this should be and this shouldn't be. We order it that way. In my world, this should be and this shouldn't be. Because I'm the God in my world, right? This should happen, this shouldn't happen. I've made the rules. I'm the God here. So in my world, and, and you know, this is most of our worlds, we live in a fantasy and in our world where everybody... Is perfect. Everybody thinks like I think. Everybody fits in with my plans. And of course my plans are what? Happiness for all. Is that not your plans? Happiness for all. So that's my plans. That's my world. That's my way it should be. In my world people shouldn't get angry. People shouldn't get hurt. People shouldn't abuse one another. It should happen in my little world where I'm God. So in my little world where I'm God, circumstances ought to conform to what I think they should be. And it gives me a sense of power that I can determine the way things should be. And when they don't turn out the way that we think they should be, we say that shouldn't have happened. But in reality, and, and what I have to explain today, you, you may think I'm crazy and I may have, you think I may have lost it, but bear with me here. It was all a fantasy. It was all a, a, an illusion. What we're left with is what really did happen, right? The way things really are. God isn't in our illusion of should be. God is never into shoulds. He's only into is. This is not a fantasy world. This is not Disney world. You know, where all your dreams come true. And, I, and I'm glad because, you know, we, we, I mean, gosh, we play these roles out so much. I mean, it is. We got, we got mess and junk that's going on in our life. And we, we, we think it shouldn't be, it should be, but we, the first thing we have to do is come to the reality that it is. It is. Whether you caused it, whether somebody did it to you, whatever, 
It is. Here it is. So in that we have this what ought to be or what should be and why isn't it so. And all of this arises out of this God-like fantasy that in my power I can make the should happen. That's why we get devastated by circumstances that happen when we think they shouldn't happen. I mean, could you imagine uh, Paul, probably the next best preacher to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and I mean the best preacher of the gospel the gospel himself what happens to him he's nailed to a cross what did he do he was innocent nailed to a cross Paul how many times was he beaten stoned shipwrecked snake bit for doing what preaching the gospel Paul, nothing happened to Paul when he was going around killing people, murdering people. He was a terrorist to the Christians. But as soon as he starts preaching the gospel, the good news, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation, he's beat to a pulp, thrown in jail, chained to a Roman soldier. Be easy to think these things shouldn't be. You don't hear Paul complaining. Paul says, my bonds are in Christ. This has been for the furtherance of the gospel where men have now waxed bold and confident in the preaching of the gospel. Now, God isn't into our illusions. And if we're religious, we try to drag him into our illusions by asking him to bless my shoulds. And then all of my illusions make up my prayer list. And, you know, we had spent a lot of time on that, uh, talking about prayer. You know, I think we just did a seven or eight week lesson on prayer, then King of Kings to help us understand that. And now kind of here we are again. So our illusions make up a prayer list, and, and when it doesn't happen, who's to blame? God's to blame. He didn't, he didn't answer my prayer about the should. And then, of course, he, uh, you know how we used to say, well, he's punished me. You must have sin in your life and, you know, all of this stuff. Those people think God's always ticked off and he's always on the verge, you know, blowing everybody up. Let me, let me show you something here. Now, this comes... Thinking ironic, we got to read from this cat, but yeah, he sums it up right here in the book of James. James himself. James chapter 4, verse 1, from, from whence come wars and fightings among you? He says, you want to know where this stuff comes from? Wars. He says, wars. Where do they come from? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You know what he's saying right there? The reason you have wars is because everybody wants their own way. That's what he's saying if you want me to sum it up. Everybody wants their should to be. And my should may infringe on yours. So God, I'm praying that God will change your mind to see it my way. I've prayed those kind of prayers before. Lord, help them. Lord, help them. Lord, you know, all of this other stuff. Maybe they ain't the problem. 
You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people in a lot of relationships, relationships all to pieces, and, and husbands are praying for the wives, or wives praying for the husband. Maybe they're both of them's knuckleheads, but they think, Lord, if you'd just help her, if you'd just help him, see it my way. Wars come, because I want it my way. Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot attain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. Do you think maybe the majority of the, our failure in prayer is this right here? We ask amiss. You know what that means? That means we, when, when we go deer hunting and, and there's a big old buck out there and we draw a bead on the buck and we shoot at the buck and we miss, we don't get the buck. He laughs and runs off. You ask amiss. You miss. You miss the mark. Now, now he tells us why that we miss the mark right here. That ye may consume it upon your own lust. Your whole prayer is consumed with your own way. Because in your fantasy world, you have deemed the way things should be and the way they shouldn't be. And you're the God, so you're praying really hard. For it to be your way. And when it doesn't happen, what happens? We're devastated. And he says this. Now listen here. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. James is writing to the church. And he calls the church adulterers and adulteresses. He's talking to both men and women. What a statement to throw at them. Now does this mean they're all going around out here and picking up uh, hookers and doing all of this other stuff? No. This was their adultery. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? He said this is your adultery right here. You're going around trying to play Friends with the world who was under the power of, of the, the wisdom of Satan. Blind in darkness. They've, they've been captivated. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of God, will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of, of God. The enemy of God. Whoever will be a friend of And you know what amazes me is the church has tried to do this. The church has said, hey, let's go be a friend with the world and let's just lure them in. Let's have concerts. Let's, let's bingo. Let's do all of the things the world does and just lure them in and then we'll get them saved. Oh, James says, uh, you're, you're uh, the enemy of God. I didn't write it. If you got trouble with that, you have to take it up with the Apostle James who wrote that. You know? The church has done everything they can to try to look like the world and justified it by saying, we just want to win souls to Christ, so let's have movie night. And, and you know, James says you have wars because you want what you want. You, you, your prayers are missing the mark. Because you, you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lust. You want your own way. So when what shouldn't be, what we deem shouldn't be happens, we hate it. And there's this feeling of weakness. This sense of no power. 
It didn't turn out like I planned, and I feel frustration, which frustration can have many degrees. It can, I mean, it can have degrees to yelling and screaming, to murder and war. Some people try to deny the circumstance and try to hide from it. Y'all wonder why I keep doing this. This cord keeps pulling back on my ear, so I have to adjust it 50 times. So this, you know, when people try to deny the circumstance, try to hide from it, and and, uh, they don't want to know, you know, like an ostrich puts your head in the sand, that can very quickly lead to depression or despair. How many people do you know that have depression, that have a lot of depression? I mean, why do you think we have uh, so much drugs in the world? I mean, half of it is anxiety and depression. Where does all this come from? Because things are not the way we planned. And they come at us. And uh, The word that explains this, what I'm talking to you about, is, is judge. Okay, I judge the situation. And, and judge actually means here, it means to, to, to separate off. It, it, it means I won't accept what is happening to me. I don't want it. I separate it away from me. I condemn it. I condemn it as should not, uh, uh, ought not. I won't go there. Has anybody ever said that? I won't go there. Because that situation is over there, right? I don't want to go there. And that, that's a popular saying nowadays. I don't want to go there. I've already judged the situation. The situation is not right. And I've separated the situation off. It's over there. And I don't want to go there. Right? Or some people may say it this way. When, when they hear something, they'll say, don't get me started. Right? Have you ever heard these terms? That means I've already judged it. It's over there. I'm separated from it. And I don't want to be in it. I've judged it. It's over there. And please don't get me started. And it's really silly if you think about it. You sit in the corner and, and you go into depression. You go into uh, or you sulk about it. Younger people may use this expression. Here's a common term for younger people. I'm bored. The situation that I see, I judge it and it, it has no excitement to me. I'm bored. I'm bored. And... You know, boredom means somebody who doesn't see God. I mean, honestly, that's... And you know, our kids aren't taught to look for God. Our kids aren't even talking who's a little boy and who's a little girl. Uh, they surely aren't taught to look for God or to seek God. I mean, but we're told... But young Hebrew children were. You know, you, you remember... I mean, I know this, but Deuteronomy 6 says, Teach them in the morning, teach them at night, teach them when, when you're in the fields, teach them when you're at the table, teach, teach them when you go to work, teach them when you come home. You know, always teaching them about God. Where is that now? It's not. It's not. They don't seek God. Boredom means, I think, life sucks. Life ought to be to me the way I think it should be. And it isn't so, so I won't get involved. I deny it's there. I separate it off. I condemn it. I refuse it. 
But you see, that's, that's the great illusion. You can't. It's there. It happened. That's where anxiety comes in. It happened, and it shouldn't have happened. It wasn't my part. It wasn't part of my plan. So now what do I do? So I go back and I say, if only I would have done this. So we're living in the past, right? If only I would have done this. If I hadn't have done that. I go forward and say, well, what if? And if people are involved, which mostly they are, I blame them for messing up my life. I would have had a good day until they showed up. Everything was fine. They showed up and so I become bitter. And I'm afraid of them because I, they seem to have a God power to change my to change my should. They come into my life and you know what they do with their God power? They ruin my day. So my day was going good. I was happy until they showed up and they had more power than me and they, they ruined my day. How many people live this way? So I judge it. I condemn it. I cut them off. I separate. So life then becomes, this is good, this is bad. What does that sound like? That's the wrong tree. We forget that. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Both of them will kill you. And you know, what we call good today, we may find out tomorrow was bad. And what we call bad today, we may find out tomorrow was good. You know, there was a song, this guy. Here's another song. Music guy. I think Garth Brooks did it. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. How many times, and you know, I tell, tell young people this all the time, you know, how many times, you know, a young man is 16 years old and, he, and you know, he looks at a, a lady and he's praying, oh, Lord, just let me catch her eye and she'd be the perfect woman. And, you know, he finds out five years later she was a, a dope head and a liar and she cheated only 40 times and ruined his life or vice versa. But, you know, at the time you think, oh, this would be good. So you organize your life around what you call good. Then later you find out it wasn't too good. You know. I can't remember that, the whole story that, that one guy that, well, I'll, I'll go back and get the story about a guy. I think he had a horse and threw the horse, and, or the horse threw his son, broke his son's leg. And they said, oh, man, that's a terrible thing. You need to kill the horse. But then there was a war, and everybody went off to war. And his son didn't have to go because he had a broke leg. And You know what you call we come and we judge the situation and we do that because we think we're little gods and we have no idea what we're doing. And we're, we're living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is death. And you know what death means? It means separation. That's what it meant. When you try to do that, you are actually trying to separate everything off. This is good. This is bad. This is all of this. You're splitting life. And it's a crazy world when you're trying to be God there. The world has become a separated place. But God, listen to this, God is. 
I mean, what was the first revelation? What was the revelation of his name? I am. That means I is. Here and now. I am that I am. Not that I was or not that I will be. I am. Right here, right now, Moses, all of Israel is in bondage to Egypt. And I want you to know I am. Right now. This is it. We can't put our head in the sand. We know you're in bondage. We know you're making bricks with no straw. But I am. Right? I mean, God deals in reality. There's never a should with God. It simply is. God, God has a purpose and He works throughout, He works through all of our illusions. And we're so blind in all our illusions, we don't know whether it's good or whether it's bad, bad, yet God is working out there in our illusions, His sole purpose. Because our illusions, our nightmares don't exist to Him. He, he works His purpose, and the purpose that's been there since before the beginning, before Adam was even there, and that purpose of God is that He would sum up the whole creation in His Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who would join himself to mankind and bring mankind into union with the Trinity. He would bring it all into union with the Trinity. Do y'all get a hold of that? I'm telling you, there's about less than one-tenth of one percent of the whole church world that really can see that and believe that because most people think heaven is Disneyland somewhere off and just they say exactly what Mary says. I know in the last day he'll live. I know in the end it'll be all right. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection right now. In this very place, I am. I know Lazarus is dead to you, and I know his body stinks, but I want you to know I'm here, and this is, and I'm the resurrection. But everybody says, oh, I know in the resurrection in the last day. He says, I'm here now. I told you his whole purpose was to, to become man and bring man into the Trinity. Let me, let me tell you something. You've never heard this before, I guarantee you. You ask somebody, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Well, man sinned and he come to redeem man. I'm going to make a statement to him. Let me tell you something. If man had never have sinned, Jesus would still have came. Now, what do you think about that? Because if man's sin caused Jesus to come, that means his initial plan wasn't to come anyway. And the only reason he came was because man fell. But some people will say, well, it was predestinated. No, the purpose of God that Jesus would always come and sum the whole creation up in himself and redeem the whole creation and bring it back to God. Jesus was always the purpose. Jesus is more than just a carpenter uh, uh, from Nazareth. We, we got to think about this. Listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says. Who, he's talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory. Whose glory? God's glory. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. The express image of God. His person, God's person. He's, he's the image of, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And it says, and upholding all things 
by the word of his power. Upholding all things. That means every, every rock, every mosquito, every duck, every bluegill, every child. He upholds it all. It all holds together by the word of his power. I mean, I want us to get who this, this man is. It's, it's in him. I mean, it says in, in Colossians that in him all things consist. It means all things hold together. Jesus is, now, you got to hear this. And I know some people may, may take this wrong. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the God who limited himself to a man. At the same time, he held all things by the word of his power. Yet, it was always the intention. The Father appointed the Son to be the, the ground of all being. The one through whom all existence came. The one who uh, then would enter into existence and take hold of mankind and fill mankind with his life and bring mankind to the Trinity. That was always the purpose of God. What did Jesus say? I come to judge the world and put sinners over here and, and save people. He said, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus said the world was already judged. It was already condemned. Why? Because men love the darkness. Men love their illusions rather than the truth, rather than the reality, rather than light. You could say that sin was man's attempt to do all that without Jesus. That was the mark they missed. We don't need Jesus. We'll do it ourselves. And a lot of people, they still try to do it today just like the disciples in the boat. And when the storms come, you're doing all you can to bail the water out of the boat. We're going to the other side. We're going to get there. I can, I can, you know, I can not only earn my salvation. I can keep my salvation. I can earn God's grace. I can move my way up into the kingdom hierarchy. And Come on. Get to God without Jesus. You know what that's called? That's called the Tower of Babel. Which we'll be studying a whole lot about in our book of Revelation. And let me tell you something else. God even created time. I mean, the, the Bible starts out with in the beginning. In the beginning meant that, that time started. Otherwise, how did you know it was a beginning? How do you know there was a beginning and an ending except there, there was a measurement? Now, before the beginning, it was just God. But in the beginning, God, uh, through Jesus, uh, spoke and brought forth creation. He spoke, he brought forth time. Not only space and stuff and all of that, but time. Now, this is important. I mean, there's a Bible verse that says, redeeming the time. And all of history... Is the unfolding of that purpose. And I can tell you what. God's purpose won't be thwarted. It won't be put off. You can't stop it. I don't care. They may talk about, you know, the end of the world and nuclear weapons and blowing everything up. And that would be it. God's purpose won't be stopped. I mean, it won't. And that purpose is that God would bring mankind through Jesus Christ into the Trinity. 
So Jesus came, you know, with the history here, and He came and He lives among us. And, and I mean, he's the, he's the purest revelation, not only of God, but what man was supposed to be. Now, Jesus, he is, or he, I mean, he was the truth and he spoke the truth. And he, he said that he must suffer and die. Remember that? He said, I must go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And you know what Peter said? Peter said, no, hang on there a minute. That shouldn't be. That doesn't fit in my shouldn't be. This doesn't fit in my good. Uh, that's a bad situation. So he gets on to Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. No, Jesus. In a perfect world, that can't happen. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. This is not, this is not how you save the world, Jesus. Well, you know what Jesus said? Oh, it's okay, Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You, you've been indoctrinated by this satanic wisdom. Jesus stands before Pilate. Jesus stands in the reality. He's the truth. Pilate asks, what is true? Truth is staring him in the face. And he doesn't see it. And Pilate's frustrated. He said, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to release you? And Jesus says, you have no power. Except to be given from above. I want you to, I want you to remember that. You know, people, they have court cases. They go to court cases. They have all this other stuff. And the judge says, I have this power. I have this power. And you know what? Jesus stands there and says, you have no power. Except we're given from Above, from my Father. I mean, what is he saying right here? Jesus is standing there saying, I don't recognize the power of Rome. I don't really recognize the power of Pilate. You're there, you're part of the reality, you're, you're part of the is, but there's only one power. And it's not you. It's not Rome. That's what I say. I mean, do you recognize the enormity of that power? I mean, when I hear the, the presidents of these nations, they get on there and say, there's a new world order and we're going to do this. I say, I don't recognize that power. I don't recognize that power, Joe. You have no power. What power you do have was given you from above and it can be taken away in a second. I don't recognize it. I only recognize one power. And in fact, I want you to hear this. Everything that happened to Jesus with his suffering and death, you know what he called it? He called it the cup my father gives me to drink. He bypassed the devil. He didn't say, oh, the devil did this to me. Did he? I mean, do you got the same Bible I got? He didn't say the devil did this to me. He didn't say Judas, that old traitor, he, he betrayed me. No. He didn't blame Annas and Caiaphas. He said, it's the cup my father gives me. I mean, he doesn't rebuke the devil and be upset with Peter and the Roman soldiers and Judas. He said, it's the cup my father gives me to drink. You ever think about that? That's the background that Paul's coming. This This was... Pure Old Testament revelation that there's only one God and God is achieving His purpose. Like Joseph, you remember Joseph? My gosh, he's the favorite son, man. He's thrown in a pit. He's sold off as a slave. I mean, can you imagine here's Joseph, you know, the favorite son? Standing on the, on the blocks, uh, you know, sold as a slave, lied to Potiphar's wife, thrown in jail. And now, and then he says, look, I know that you guys, you, your intention was evil. Y'all meant it for evil. But you know what? There's only one God and he has all power 
And he meant all your evil for good. How is that? I mean, God will take your plans. He'll take the, the, the plans of evildoers, people with evil intention, and turn them inside out where it's not even their plan, and he'll bring glory out of it. Now, a lot of you guys have witnessed that before, but, you know, we forget about that when we get in these situations. Because the first thing we do with situations is we judge it and we condemn it and say, no, I don't want to go there. And see, that, that revelation I just told you, that's revelation of the Old Testament. Now, that, that, that uh, Jesus, the Creator, becomes one with mankind and sums it all up in His person. And, and only He can do that. Because He's the God-man. And he, 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 I mean, he's, he's become man. And, and that man was said to be Lord of all creation. So this man can encompass all creation creation and he encompasses into him all all of it all history and so much so that what happens to him happens to all of it i told you when he summed it up he summed it up all remember we said you you know here here is jesus and and you know if this is me and i'm in christ boom then whatever happened to him happens to me that's what happened at the, at the cross you know when it, when it says uh, let me go over here to Hebrews a minute. Uh, see if I can find this verse. I believe it's in, in chapter 10. Lo, he said, when I come, to, I come to do thy will, he taketh away the first that he may establish the second. You know what the first was? The first creation, all of it. He took it all into himself. He summed it all up. Not only the first man, everything he summed up into himself. And put it to death. And you know what? If he put it all to death in himself when he raised again, what raised with him? All that he included in himself. Had to, right? I told you this gets a little confusing maybe. But just let it sink in. So he carries it all into death. And when he offers his perfect self to the Father to carry this fallen, twisted, corrupted creation unto death. And, and he did it. And when he rose from the dead, guess what happened? A whole new world order came into being. You know, they want to talk about a new world order. And I say, Joe, you missed it. You're about 2,000 years late. The new world order began on that morning when Jesus got up from the dead. We'll be celebrating that day here before long called Easter. It's the resurrection of all. It's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He got up. And you know what? He didn't just get up and walk around. He ascended. Do you get a hold of that? He ascended. There's a new world order, all right. There's a new creation. Yeah. And we got to lead the charge. I want to say, you ain't leading nothing. You ain't, I mean, you know, you ain't leading nothing. Boy, that's a double, triple negative, but I just got to say it. You ain't leading nothing. You've already missed the boat. The boat's done sailed. Jesus done got up. There's a new creation already on hand. It's a world now that has found its true center. You know what that means? It's true center. It's true focus in Jesus. And he, when he ascends, he carries that to the Father. 
It's summed up in a picture in Revelation. Uh, oh, John, he was in a similar situation as Paul. Paul, uh, John had been tried, tried and condemned. He had been judged, sentenced to the Isle of Patmos, and he's left there. And what they would do, they would put a ball and chain on him, and they would weld this thing or rivet it on so it's not coming off. So, I mean, he's there with a ball and chain. He's forever, and on the ball and chain, it says prisoner of Rome. It says that right there. And he gets news that the churches are being persecuted. I don't know how he got the news, but it came to him from across the Mediterranean that the churches are being persecuted. They're being burned at the stake, fed to lions. And you know what? It seems it's all over, doesn't it? I mean, you would think this is it. Man, we tried. We made a good run, but it just ain't going to happen. You know, I mean, Jesus had a good run. The gospel went forth about, you know, 70, 80 years, and that was it. And, and, and the world, the wisdom of Satan was too much. It stomped it out. Almost seems like that today, doesn't it? The powers that be are too strong. They're too mighty. They're, they're stomping it out. The church is being persecuted. The church has lost its way. It seems like it's older. It's almost. It's time to go cry in the corner. That's when John receives the book of Revelation and, and, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day on the Isle of Patmos, your brother and companion in tribulation. There he was in his chains and you know what happened? A door was open in heaven. I mean, he hears a voice saying, hey John, come on in. Come on in. Come up hither. I mean, you know, come on in, John. I mean, you would think, oh, my God, we got to. I mean, it's like, oh, ball and, that's, come on in, John. Let me show you something. And he comes in, and what does he see? A throne. He sees the place of all power. And how many sitting on the throne at this junction when he sees it? And I saw one. I saw one throne. I saw the real throne of the universe where all power is and one sat on the throne and all he could do was describe him as radiant light. That's Revelation chapter 4. At this juncture, he is seeing God the Father on the throne. All power. That's the Old Testament revelation. God on the throne. I love that, that he saw the throne, and I think, you know, the throne wasn't in Washington, D.C. He wasn't having a revelation of D.C. and Capitol Hill. I know that doesn't set very good with politicians of the day, but that's not where the throne is. Then, in chapter 5, he hears about the line of the tribe of Judah. He begins to weep because he sees these, all these shoulds that shouldn't be, right? All this is sealed up, it's locked up, and we can't get to it. He begins to weep. Don't weep, John, because there's one who's prevailed. Who's this that's prevailed? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And he begins to look for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns, and behold, a dear little lamb as it had been freshly slain, was walking toward the throne, walking toward the light, and sat down in the midst of the throne. So now that God has the face of a dear little lamb. The wrath of the lamb. Have you ever think about that? I watched this thing the other day, and this dude was riding a bull. I think people that ride bulls are a little crazy. 
I was not going to get on a bull and try to ride it. And this bull throwed him off, and then this bull hooked him, throwed him up in the air, and he landed on the back of that bull, and that bull wore him out. Now, that would be pretty vicious when that cow attacked Dad. That was one big thing. But you know what? I've been around sheep before. They ain't very vicious. I don't, you know what I mean? I mean, you don't, I mean, when the cow attacks, that's something. But when a lamb attacks, have you ever seen a lamb attack anything? Let's just be real. They don't attack. He saw the, the person in the throne now has a face of a lamb. He's saying as far as the Old Testament revelation was concerned, God ruled over all, but the New Testament tells us that God came and picked it all up and carried it into the heart of God and says it's yours. So you know what that means? That means the moments, the TikToks of my life, everything that's going on is all in Christ. I want you to get all of that. It's because it's beyond my brain to comprehend it, but it's Scripture. It means all that we call life, all the, of these circumstances, he took them all into himself. So Paul knows that not only from the Old Testament, but he's seen it in Jesus. That his captor, that Paul stands there, cha that's chained to him, he says, you're part of my adventure. Do you ever get a hold of that? You're part of my adventure. You're in Christ too. You don't even know it. He's saying that he's... He's redeemed my life, which means what is happening to me now, this mess, is all included into Christ. It, it's not merely that I'm in the middle of this mess and God give me strength to get through it, because that's the way we look at it most of the time. You know, and, and I understand that view, and we've all been in that view, that God give me strength to get through this mess. But we don't realize the mess has been included into Christ Jesus I know that's hard because we can't see it that way. We want to judge it. We want to separate it off. Paul, say, Paul says, my imprisonment, my bonds are in Christ. The chains, the guards, the cells, the, the, uh, the cell I'm in, the betrayals, everything that made up this imprisonment, he said it's all in Christ. Christ is in charge of it all and it's happening inside of his jurisdiction. Now think about that. It's all in His jurisdiction. See, I've learned some of this through my trials and troubles along the way. Some of the things that I've been through. Dealing with court cases and kids and, and all the stuff. You know, the, the melee, the mess that all happened to me up in Chicago. And, and, but I didn't realize at the time it was all under God's jurisdiction. And what He says goes. I mean, that's it. And, and listen, Paul is not saying it's in Christ, therefore good will come in the end. See, Christians are, are great at that. Everything's going to come in the end. But right now we just got to twiddle our thumbs and wait for the end when the good comes. Paul isn't saying that either. He's saying now all of this, it's all in Christ. It's all been redeemed. He's here. He's in me. I'm in Him. He's in this circumstance. The circumstance is in Him. And it's all a celebration of Him. It's all now brought into God's purpose in Christ, whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not. 
Because something happened when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended. That changed the course of time. It changed the course of space. It changed all mankind. So for Paul and for us, this circumstance, it's, it's not that we separate it off and condemn it and judge it and say it's bad. And oh, pray for me that I'll get out of here. This is bad. I want to get back to good. No, he says this has been included into Christ and the purpose of God. There's no separation here. It's all one. And I told you this, this is radical. This is in this now moment. And all that it contains becomes the arena of the activity of Jesus Christ to reveal the Father. Do you get a hold of that? All that you're going through is the arena for Him to reveal the Father. Man, we want out of the arena. The whole church world wants out of the arena. So understanding that, we can never say the prison is good or bad. Because we, we Christians, we believers have transcended good or bad. We don't eat at that tree anymore. Paul is going to say in a few verses, we'll get there in a week or two, for, for to me to live as Christ. We don't go through life separating things off saying, that's bad, that's bad. But rather recognize that he's there, he's now, and it's all included into God's purpose. Do you, can you look back over your life and see that? The things that happened to you long ago that you didn't know, that you thought was hell on earth while you was going through it, was to the purpose and glory of God, that you had no idea what he was doing, and you wondered why, why you was going through all of this mess, but it has brought you here, and it has, and, and it has revealed the Father in a way that only that circumstance could have brought about. So I don't sit in my prison and, 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 and with circumstance and I say, what if? What if James had helped? What if James had went to the governor and, and you know, none of this would have been, I could have went on preaching the gospel. Now, I love C.S. Lewis and, and Narnia. I got a string hanging down. Huh. The Chronicles of Narnia, you guys should check that out. In the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Jesus is the great lion, Aslan. She let your girls watch that, Kayla. It's awesome. Narnia. He's Aslan. Now, one of the characters in the story comes to him and asks, what would have happened if? Now, the response of the great lion, Aslan, he growled. You don't ask him what if. He'll growl at you. There's no answer to what if. It's none of your business anyway, what if. We don't live in what if, we live in what is. What is has been included into God's purpose in Jesus Christ. We, we live in the is. The reality, uh, the, the truth, the now. It's here and now that he shall be glorified. Now listen, I know some of you may be thinking, well, this is passivity. This is passivity. Passivity is saying, uh, this, this is God's will. It's right. And I'll just sit back and let it roll over me. That's, no, that's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is this, this now moment has been carried into the Father's heart to fulfill His purpose. So I don't ask why, I don't ask what if. I say, what is it that He's doing 
in this moment, in this circumstances, in order to reveal the Father. I don't say why, I say what. And when I say that, guys, listen, I, I mean, I look and, and I mean, bigger situations than just our little circumstances that's going on here. What, what's going on with the war? What's, I mean, war in Ukraine. What's going on with North Korea? What's going on with China? What's going on with the food shortages? What's going on with the gas prices? You know, we could just say, well, we could say, well, what if Trump would have won? What if? No, the reality is. This is his moment. So I have to sit back instead of complain about it. I got to stretch my neck and say, what is God doing to, uh, what is Jesus doing to reveal the Father in this situation? I'm not passive about it and sitting there and just let the situation roll over. You, you, you understand here because I realize who's in charge. And no matter what they think, I mean, behold a throne, a door in heaven, and one on the throne. I saw all of that. Now I'm I'm saying, I I don't know what you're doing, God, but I'm I'm looking. And my prayer tends to be that way now. What are you doing? How are you bringing about your glory in this situation? And I joined myself to it. I'm not sitting, sitting over here praying, oh God, change their minds to do this, do all of this. Uh, because God ain't, uh, God is. And He's working in this situation whether you join with Him or not. And, and my prayer, I want it to be joined to Him so that I could be a part of it. I ask, what is Jesus, who is my life, doing in this situation? How is it that He in me, by me, through me shall reveal the love of God in Christ in this situation? How is it? I can't see it. How is it that I declare and reveal the victory of Jesus Christ over principalities and powers? How is it, guys? I mean, look, if, uh, if we go read about Hezekiah and all of that. You know, we've went over this before. He laid that letter out. Listen, if the Assyrian army hadn't have been about a million men strong, we wouldn't be reading about the story because it wouldn't have bit nothing. I mean, if I got a million men and I conquer an army of 30, what is that? That ain't worthy of history. But if I, can, if I can go to Gideon and I can see Gideon and Gideon's got 300 men and, and their weapons are a pitcher with a candle in it and they're going out to battle and, and when, when the battle cry rings, they break the pitcher and let the light shine and this great army starts killing themselves and running off. Now that's worthy of Scripture. So I look around and instead of being nervous and scared about World War III and what's going on and famines, I say, man, the bigger this is, the greater the glory that God will get from this situation. And I want to be a part of it. How is he going to use me and you in this situation? Does that make sense now? Because, I mean, have you ever realized that when you're in a moment of personal evil or personal darkness, that that has been redeemed? It's been brought into, into Christ? And we say, well, why don't you re- rebuke the darkness? I don't have to walk into a dark room and rebuke the darkness and say, darkness, leave. It'll never, it'll never leave. You just come into the room and turn the light on. Right? 
Because I want you to understand that all that you're going through, every circumstance you're in, you are the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in this real situation. You're the very hands, the eyes, the voice of Jesus. You're, you're, you're God's hands continuing His work of creation. Do you realize that? You say, wasn't Paul's imprisonment a bad thing? Well, and, I, and I'm going to finish up here in just a second. There, there's a difference between discernment and judgment. And we'll get more into judgment later, but I want you to get this. Discernment will say, I'm looking at life as it is. This is bad. This is wrong. Man's cruelty is wrong. I, I've, I've got discernment there. But, and uh, you know, and we say, what do you want me to do about it? But judgment says that shouldn't be. I separated away from myself. I, I, I sulk. You know, I, I've, I've separated it. I say, rather, what is Christ in me doing now? I don't want to be calling that, judging it. I don't, I don't want to go there. So, you know, what's my reaction? I've discerned it, so what's my reaction to it? I don't separate it off. I look at the situation. Now, everybody, and you should in this world, and you think, well, you have no power. Oh, my God. Do you realize who, who you're joined to, who you're in, who's in you? You say, well, you have no power. We're here. We're just a little church right here in Cedar Bluff. I mean, you better think again. You better think again. I mean, so we look at this and we say, what part am I to play in bringing about the glory of God in this moment? And guys, when you can see this, this is freedom from the tyranny of circumstances. You're totally free because there's not a circumstance that can imprison you because all the circumstances you see are in Christ. That's why Paul would say, I'm a bond slave of Christ, man. He realized where it was all up. I mean, what a freedom. You're, you're free from more than just being happy. Right? People go through life and that's all they want, just happiness, happiness. I found happiness. Paul wasn't worried about happiness. He, was, he, he wanted to be a part of the glory of God. It's all about Him. That's why the Scripture says in all things, in everything, what? Give thanks. You can't do that unless you know what I'm saying. Here's the truth. Now, how do you get there? To know what Jesus Christ has done, knowing who Jesus Christ is, and pray that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes from all the blindness and, and delusions and the wisdom of Satan so that we'll see the truth that there is no separation, that we and all these situations are in Christ. And having seen it, we respond to it. And as the Scripture says, and having done all, Stand. There's no passivity in that. Guys, this is just the beginning. We're going to continue this on for the next few weeks. I didn't mean to keep you too long, but I guess I really did. So it's y'all's fault. Anyway, I'll quit with that. Amen. Amen.